This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition. And here's the key word, with thanksgiving. That is the key word in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Paul's not only talking about praying when you're anxious, he's talking about a particular kind of prayer. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hey there, welcome back to Today with Jeff Vines. We're continuing our series, For God So Loved, a play on words about the six books in the Bible that have only four chapters. Those books are Ruth, Philippians, Malachi, Colossians, 2 Timothy, and Jonah. In this episode, Pastor Jeff is actually finishing a message that we started last time in Philippians chapter 4. If you want to hear part one, you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Today with Jeff Finds. For now, here's Pastor Jeff. In verse 4, again, let's go back to what we read before. Let's go back to the verse. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition. And here's the key word, with thanksgiving. That is the key word in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. What does that mean? Paul's not only talking about praying when you're anxious, He's talking about a particular kind of prayer. He says, go ahead and make your request known to God. That's what you're meant to do, but do so with thanks. And he uses a word that suggests that this kind of prayer includes two things. As you're praying and bringing your request to God, number one, you express gratitude and you acknowledge the love of God. When you're praying, you remember that God loves you so much that he gave his only son for you, that he gave up what was most precious to him so that he would not lose you. So as we've said in the past, if he never did another thing for you, he's already done enough. He has secured your eternity. So as you approach God with your petition, which he wants you to do, do so with thanksgiving that you've already won. And then there's a second part. You're not only thanking him for the love, you're thanking him for the wisdom of God. This word thanksgiving includes those two things, love of God and the wisdom of God, which means when you're praying and you're thanking God for his wisdom, what you're doing is you're thanking God for the entire range of ways that he can answer your petitions. You follow me? There's no answer to the stress in your life unless you apply the doctrine of the wisdom and love of God to your circumstances in this way. You have to envision all the possible things that could happen, all the possible ways God could meet your request, all the possible things he could do in the midst of this situation, and then you got to thank him ahead of time for it. That is somewhat pie in the sky if you're on the outside looking in. But the story of the Bible is that God did not design this world to operate the way that it's operating. Sin and suffering are the result of our alienation. But God, according to scripture, has not withdrawn from this world. He's still sovereign over the world, which means God is able to weave everything together for his purposes. Here we go. Cosmic redemption, the big picture again. 
And I've often said that the greater miracle is not that God is the first cause of every event in your life. The greater miracle is whatever comes into your life. Whatever he allows in, he's able to take and work it together for good. John Newton said, everything that God lets through must be necessary. Everything he doesn't let through could not be necessary. Is that blind trust? No, it's perfectly coherent. Because if God is the creator God, we would know no more of the big picture of our lives than a four-year-old would know the big picture of his or her life. That was the conclusion of the book of Job. Job, admit your limitations. You can't possibly know how God is orchestrating and fashioning all this together. You know, my little granddaughter, Ada. We finally got her in the sandbox. We finally got her in the shade. So I'm sitting there in the sandbox with her. And she has this temptation that if she sees something that she thinks looks like food, she'll pick it up and eat it. Kids are amazing like that. You know, it can be a bug. They'll just, oh, that looks like I'll pick it up and eat it. Now, when I tell her she can't do that, she doesn't seem to have a good understanding of why not. Looks like food. If it's food, I'm going to eat it. Looks like chocolate. If you try telling a four-year-old that ice cream right before dinner will ruin her appetite, it's hard for her to fathom. In fact, we were away in Georgia during my birthday. My birthday is August 29th. We were away and Ada, my granddaughter, could not understand why grandpa had not invited her to his birthday party. She loves birthday cakes. She invites me to hers. And her mother was trying to explain to her how I'm not local. I'm not just in the next street. I'm in a different part of the world, but she can't fathom that yet. In fact, Jessica, my daughter-in-law, sent me a video where the airplane was in the sky and Jessica said to Ada when she was outside, you see that airplane? That's Papa's a long way. He's on an airplane in a different country. So Ada turns and starts waving, hi, Papa. The point is, if there's that much separation between me and Ada, how much more between me and God? How much of the big picture can we really see? You know, it really wouldn't make sense if everything made sense, would it? You ever tried explaining to a four-year-old something that's too difficult for a four-year-old to understand. Have you ever considered that if sometimes when you're asking God, please tell me why this has happened, give me the reasons, or do you understand that if he were to take you up on that offer, chances are you'd do what a four-year-old does when you're trying to explain to her that Poppy is in Georgia, not Georgia the state, Georgia the country. She'd probably just look at, you'd probably look at God and say, okay, thanks for that, what? I don't understand. However, Remember what Mother Teresa told Malcolm Mugridge? Let the infinite take care of the infinite, your fi or the finite, your finite and your understanding. But through prayer, you began to see the world through the eyes of God's love and wisdom. His love, as you look at the cross, where it looks bad, things look bad, you think no good can come from this. And yet the disciples, thinking that very thing, were looking at God's ultimate good, right? The greatest love and wisdom of the world has ever known was found on the cross. So much so that I would say to you that the great stabilizer in our lives, when anxiety comes, when we're stressed at the great instability, the great stabilizer is when you and I stand before the crosses of our lives and we say, God, I don't know how you are working in this, but I stand here thanking you ahead of time for all that you're going to do. Is that pie in the sky? Only if you haven't answered the big questions. Only if you try to apply the small to the big. But if you apply the big to the small, then you understand what James is talking about in James 1 when he says, in the midst of our trials and tribulations, he says, do any of you lack wisdom? You should ask God 
who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. And then he says, if you doubt, you're like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. You're double-minded. What's he saying? What is it that you don't doubt? God. If there's a God, then it's a logical deduction that he would be omnipotent, all-powerful, and he would be omniscient, all-knowing. He wouldn't be limited by wisdom, knowledge, love, power, which means God knows how to take all these things and weave them together for his purpose. So if you ever hope to experience the kind of peace that you and I are looking for, truly experience that kind of peace, you've got to answer the big questions of life. Is there a God? Has he revealed himself? Are you on your way to heaven? Are you a citizen of the kingdom of God? And then you must re-see. There has to come a point in your life when you, sorry, reevaluate external circumstances through the love and wisdom of God. He knows what he's doing. And then you must decenter internal circumstances through the discipline of holy moderation. Say it again. You have to decenter internal circumstances through the discipline of holy moderation. Now, how do you do that? And what is holy moderation? In verse four of our passage, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Now, that, that word translated gentleness is a very difficult word. It doesn't translate well into English. And in the old authorized version, it actually says, let your moderation be known instead of your gentleness. But actually, the word means this. The word means a radical evenness of temper. A radical evenness of temper. That means a type of even kill that goes on in your life. Paul actually describes holy moderation in 1 Corinthians seven twenty nine when he says this. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Now, what's he saying? John Newton said this. If you understand the grace of God, it makes the worst times bearable and the best times leavable. The worst times bearable the best times leavable. That's holy moderation. So we Christians weep, but as though we weep not, we rejoice as though we rejoice not. What does that mean? Well, it means I can be sad that I've lost something. I do mourn, but it's not as though I won't recover. So I mourn as though I don't mourn. This is not my main thing, whatever it is I've lost. Mourning is but for the night. Joy comes in the morning. Even when good things happen, I get a promotion, a raise, a success, what do Christians usually do? We, we, we rejoice, but what is Paul saying to do? Yeah, rejoice, go ahead and appreciate the good gifts of God, but you need to speak to your heart in that moment and tell your heart, settle down. This is good, it's nice, it's great, but it could be gone tomorrow and my life is not built on this. The only thing you're allowing to impact your emotions is ultimately that your names have been written in the book of life. Is this just biofeedback or mind manipulation? If it is, we're silly. But if it's the big cosmic reality, then we become stable. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. What's before that in verse three of Philippians four, whose names are written in the book of life. That's exactly what Jesus does in Luke chapter 10, verse 20. He sends the disciples out on a mission. 
They return and Jesus asked the question, how did it go? They say, wow, even the demons submit to us. And how did Jesus respond? He said, rejoice not that the demons are subject to my name, but that your names are written in heaven. Jesus says, I'm glad you had a good time, but tomorrow you may find a demon you can't cast out. And by the way, that's exactly what happened if you kept reading. Jesus says, decenter that. Stop rejoicing in your circumstances and rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Listen, the reason that you and I can't deal with our circumstances at the moment is because we have forgotten our standing with God. We have forgotten who we are and where we're going and what's been done for us in spite of us. Today, things are good. Tomorrow, maybe they won't be so good. Today, you're promoted. Tomorrow, you might be demoted. Today, you cast a check. Tomorrow, your identity may be stolen. Today, your friends value and talk to you. Tomorrow, your friends may ignore you or talk about you. This is the volatility of life. Life is unstable. It's a fallen world. But both Jesus and Paul say, rejoice not in today's successes because you may get tripped up in tomorrow's test. Don't get too wrapped up in anything in this world. Yes, celebrate. Of course, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. However, decenter. Decenter internal circumstances, your emotions, your feelings through the discipline of only moderation. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Every day, every moment, in every circumstance, speak this to your heart, every day and everywhere. And the result of all of this comes in verse 7 of Philippians 4. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Well, stay with me. Almost finished here. What eventually happens if you are willing and able to re-see your circumstances through prayer, thanksgiving, and the love and the wisdom of God, realizing that God's already done everything that you really need at this point because you're safe and secure in eternity in Him with, in heaven where things get better, where things are renewed every single day. New experience every day after day after day for eternity. And the wisdom of God where you're trusting the wisdom of God to be able to pull all these things together as you do that, you recenter then your circumstances through moderation. You, you start to understand that your real joy is not tied to experiences, whether good or bad, while you're living here. It's tied to ultimately who you are in Christ and a future that can never be snatched away from you. Now, Stay with me here because the Bible says when that happens, peace will guard your heart. It's like an army that marches around you and protects you. There'll be no stress allowed in, no enemy of anxiety, no internal war allowed. And then this overwhelming transcendent peace that is not explainable begins to enter into your life. A few years ago, I told you about my father-in-law who went over to pray for a friend who was dying and during the prayer, he said, Lord, I pray that you would heal my friend. He would get better and be able to remain with us here for years to come. And my father-in-law's friend interrupted him and said, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? Why would I want to stay here when I can go and be with Jesus? So how is it that you can be close to death? You know you're going to die and you're totally at peace. You're a rock. How can you do that? Well, Martin Luther King Jr., let me go back to that quote. Remember the quote I read? Like anybody, I would like to live a long time. Longevity has its place but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. 
And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. Then he finishes by saying, so I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Do you know that that's part of the speech that he delivered in Memphis the night before he was assassinated? He died the next day as a rock. Is that really possible? Now stay with me because this, this climactic point is where everything comes together. When you re-see your circumstances or when you reevaluate or re-see your circumstances through prayer and the love and the wisdom of God, when you recenter your circumstances through moderation and realize your citizenship is in heaven, here's what happens. Now notice the first two, the first two are disciplines in your life. But when you get these disciplines in your life, then there is a cause and effect. And now you allow the overwhelming presence of God to overwhelm your circumstances and to take you into the beyond. What does that mean? In chapter four, verse nine, Paul continues when he says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Now listen, it's one thing to seek the peace of God. We all want. It's another thing entirely to seek the God of peace. And here's how you know you do one without the other. You only pray when you're in trouble. And if you only pray when you're in trouble, if you seek the blessings of God but never seek God himself, you'll never get the blessings of God. Listen, folks, what I'm trying to express to you is not just theory to me. It's a life experience. The mind is powerful. It can impact and override your emotions. I believe personally that the mind is so powerful that it is able to subdue the nervous system. And so when the mind seeks God, something happens. Paul said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When you seek God, you get more of God. And the more of God that you have, the more awareness of God and the more power of God is released into your life. And at that point, because God is so dominant in you, because you understand God, because Jesus lives in you, the power of his resurrection, because all of those things are true, you have this solid belief system in yourself. It's not in you, it's in God, but God is in you. This solid belief in you means that nothing else can, dis can distract you, nothing can deter you, nothing else can get in to cause harm because God occupies every room in the house of your soul. You know, I used to study the difference between athletes who were really good under pressure and those who folded. And if you read the difference between the two, it's a, it's a psychological phenomenon, really. But if you read the difference between the two, it all comes down to belief. Michael Jordan believes in himself. He believed that he could do whatever required to be done. Where others who have failed in the past did not have a firm, solid belief in their own ability and they fold it under pressure. What I'm trying to say to you is that we are partakers of the divine nature and the Bible tells us you have the power of the living God, the wisdom of God in you, the love of God in you. And the more you take hold of that, the more you take hold of that, the more nothing will be able to stir you, the more nothing will be able to shake you. When you engage in the discipline of re-seeing or re-evaluating your circumstances through the love and wisdom of God, you know down deep inside God's at work. You know, you believe. And second, you realize that good or bad in this world, you gotta decenter your emotions based on if things are up or down externally because internally they're always good. You can't lose your citizens in the kingdom of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. When you do those things, 
In the words of C.S. Lewis, when you aim at heaven like that, you get earth thrown in. But if you aim at earth, you get neither. Don't let your emotions go up and down based on your external circumstances on a, on a, in a world system that is fallen, shaken, and unstable. Put your hope, your faith, and trust in that which is unshakable on the power of God living in you. And if you do that, here's what happens. Remember what we said? It takes you into the beyond. What do I mean by that? Now stay with me. Come on, we're almost done. It's all cyclical. You trust the love and wisdom of God. You live with the reality that life is unstable, but the kingdom of which you are a part of is unshakable. Because those disciplines are in your life, an unparalleled gratitude occurs. It's like your eyes are open. It's like you've had a revival. Wow. Man, this earth is volatile. But my peace and confidence doesn't come from anything in this earth. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to win this war. I have a guaranteed hope in the future. I've answered the big questions and I'm going to be okay. And the result, when you really believe that, it's based on belief. When you really take hold of that, there is this unexplainable gratitude that comes on the inside. You just want to praise and worship God because you realize you can't lose. When you apply that big truth to your circumstances, then Romans 8 becomes a reality. And that's how I want to end. I want to read it. I'm not going to put it on the screen. I want you just to listen to the words. This is what we're told. Maybe you've heard the passage before. But there's, a, I believe, a direct connection between what Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 4 and what he's saying to the church at Rome in chapter 8. And this is what he says. What shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Is it God who justifies? Who then is the one who condemns? You see, there's the temptation when things start going bad to think that somehow God is punishing us for some sin. And Paul comes in and says, stop thinking like that. Just know that God can weave everything together for his good. Who condemns us? He says, no one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So while you're going through this, Christ is there. That's that belief that he's there interceding for us before the Father. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You want to stabilize your life in an unstable world? Reevaluate external circumstances through the love and wisdom of God. God knows what he's doing and he loves you and nothing can separate you from that love. Decenter internal circumstances through the discipline of holy moderation. Understand that your emotions are not tied to the ups and downs of this world. The internal stabilizer is the knowledge and belief that God is real. He's at work. He loves you. Nothing can separate you from his love. Rejoice in the good times. Be sad in the bad times, but never allow it to determine your demeanor because you're part of a kingdom that is unshakable. And if you do those things, 
If you do those things, you will go into a realm. God will take you into the land beyond where you're so overwhelmed with thanksgiving that you will worship and you will praise God. And as you worship and praise him, guess what? The belief in God and his purposes in your life become even stronger and you become unshakable. That is the message of Philippians 4. Father, thank you for your goodness and for the words of the apostle Paul. I pray for all my brothers and sisters struggling with such instability that perhaps the message of Philippians 4 will remind us, for God so loved. Man, he loves us. And because he loves us, he has put his Holy Spirit in us so that it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And if Christ lives in us, we have total joy, stability, because we cannot lose. He is making all things new. Not only now, but in the world that is to come. In Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.